Yeah, my note is, thank God they mixed in this noise. It was almost soothing. It almost <laughs> got to the point where it was soothing. And I was like, like <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where friends and musicians dig deep into the backgrounds and stories behind some of history's most influential albums and bands as immortalized in the list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So I'm going to give some history on the band, on the album, and then do a deep dive on a handful of the tracks. At the end, we'll all vote on whether you actually need to hear this album before you die, and then we'll randomly select next week's album. As usual, I want to thank you for inviting us into your ears for the next hour, and I want to start by giving my key finding from doing research this week, and that is that there is an album in existence called Taking Drugs to Make Music to Take Drugs to. (laughs) (laughs) My my name is Adam. I've been playing music for 30 years and played professionally for over a decade, and today I'm going to be leading us through the album that Pitchfork called one of the most gentle rock records of its time. Is that a compliment? Is that an insult? Does that alone earn this album a spot on the list? I don't really know, but I do know that I had never heard of this album or this band before this week. So I'm very excited to dive into the 1992 album Laser Guided Melodies by a band called Spiritualized. If you've never heard this album, welcome to the club and let's fix that by playing the opening track right now. This is called You Know It's True. All right, there you have it. So I'm very excited today because we have the full crew with us tonight. Now, it has been a while, so we're going to work our way around the studio, get some introductions and those tweet-length reviews. So let's throw it over to Alan first. Hey, this is Alan. So I also hadn't heard of this band or this album before, so I did a fair bit of online research looking for reviews. I came upon one user review for this album As stated, a friend of mine had once willingly declined a threesome so he could get to the spiritualized gig in time. Was he, Mm. is he in spiritualized? I don't know what that says about this guy and his sexual preferences, but I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, Phil here. This, uh, yeah, excited to talk about the album this week. Um, my, uh, my tweet line for review would be, uh, you do not need to listen to this record. <laughs> Period. <laughs> right out of the gate. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it, I I I enjoyed listening to this record at times. I actually own a spiritualized record called uh Ladies and Gentlemen, You're Floating in Space. Uh we are floating in space. Um and I, I like that one more. Uh and you don't need to listen to that one either. You know, like <laughs> which that, that one is on the list though, isn't it? Is it? 
That one's not for everyone. Hey, this is Rob. Quick confession, guys. I think I might have misunderstood the assignment. I got popped on my noise-canceling headphones this week, and um, I heard nothing but silence. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I wrote a, I wrote a, I wrote a tweet-length review for Spiritualized. I'm going to take a page from our friend Phil here and quote someone who has no connection to the music business whatsoever. I think John Wilkes Booth said it best. <laughs> As he lay dying in a barn from a bullet to the spine. Useless. Useless. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Tom, you're next. You know, so listening to this album this week, it really got me thinking about the word spiritualize and kind of breaking it down into its component parts. So it starts out with the word spirit. It's this ethereal, ephemeral thing. By definition, it's almost impossible to interact with spirit. It's super important, but it's kind of just out of reach. So we as humans have developed the way to experience the spirit by adding ritual to it. You know, you have to ritualize the spirit. That's what makes it tangible. You know, you have actions that you can take in the real world that can help you get into the mindset to connect with the spirit. That's how you bring it into the physical world. You ritualize it. The ritual without the spirit is meaningless. The spirit without the ritual is untouchable. And, you know, getting in that mindset, it was a really great way to help me initially dissect the album because it is very ephemeral. It's very ethereal. It's very spiritual. And after about three listens, I wanted to commit ritual suicide. (laughs) Did Elon Musk finally lift the cap on tweet length? (laughs) Oh, if you want a shorter one, I got a shorter tweet length review, which is just Xanax the musical. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. One of my uh, discarded tweets was that this was musical Xanax or something to that effect. So, uh, Uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're in the in the mix. You're in good company. All right. Hey, this is Adam. Uh, My quick review was that this album was broken up into four different movements that the band labeled as red, green, blue and black. Kellogg's Fruit Loops also divided up its product into different colors, but at least Kellogg's had the decency to admit that Fruit Loops are all the same flavor. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Harkening back to the LL Cool J episode with the cereal. Yeah, eat some fruity cereal here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my alternate was that uh, I've heard this album called uh, a sleeper album by me in the sense that it literally put me to sleep. <laughs> Uh, so silly. All right, so let's let's jump into some history of Spiritualize. So Spiritualize formed back in 1990, but before we can really talk about them, we have to go back even further and talk a little bit about a band called Spacemen 3. Are you guys familiar with Spacemen 3? I'm familiar with the, with no. the name of the band and their connection to Spiritualized. Sadly, after this week, I, I had to be familiar with them. All right. <laughs> you did any research you saw it so in 1982 a group of guys formed a neo-psychedelic space rock band (laughs) neo-psychedelic space rock we should just end right now uh they called this band space men three uh they'd been described as a mix of the stooges velvet underground early psychedelic pink floyd that band was formed by two guys that the main brain trust there was a guy named jason pierce and peter kember 
They started hitting their stride in the late 80s on the indie scene in England and released their fourth and final studio album in 1991. Now, Spaceman 3 had broken up prior to the last album being released, which is a familiar scene uh, in rock music, so no big surprise there. Just as they had started developing some momentum in England's indie rock scene and even attracting the eyes of some American labels, Kember and Pierce, the two founding members, were really having some infighting in the band about copying each other's work, and it just wasn't working out. These two guys were, were kind of at each other's throats. You throw in a shitty manager and you've got a recipe for disaster. So in late 1989, they actually had lined up a 50-date tour in the U.S., They had posters printed up. They basically had the trucks ready to go, and they canceled at the last minute because these guys were at each other's throats. I'm just trying to picture the amount of effort that this dude can put into fighting with a bandmate. (laughs) Is he just kind of (laughs) loosely slapping him against the side of the shoulder? (laughs) (laughs) These dudes, this this whole band, uh, Spaceman 3, was really, really into drugs. Uh, that was kind of like one of the no shit, <laughs> yeah, not coke though. I would imagine, right? <laughs> Definitely not. I'm guessing lots no. of uh, this was the downers, right? Rob, the what were the British quaaludes. downers? <laughs> what were British quaaludes? Mandrax, I think. <laughs> I love that they had something that just sounded classier than downers. <laughs> very, very British. All right, so they canceled this last minute tour in '89. They tried to write another album called Recurring. But with Kemper and Pierce butting heads and at each other's throats, they basically wound up writing two solo albums, one on each side of the of the album. So Pierce's side of the album is sometimes considered the unofficial first album from Spiritualized. So I want to drop in a small clip from that album because I think it's important that you hear the precursor to Laser Guided Melodies. So this song is called Feeling Just Fine from that last album from Spaceman 3. So not super surprised at the sound that we wind up getting from from this album. So I promise I'm getting close to actually closing out this prior chapter here. So they're they're working on this recurring album. Kemper's in the studio, and apparently Kemper is a perfectionist. He's doing upwards of 12 mixes per track on his, his side of the album. Pierce just wants to get it in the bag and go back on tour. So Pierce takes three other members of Spaceman 3 and starts to form Spiritualized in secret, keeping Kember in the dark on this. They recorded and released a single as Spiritualized all behind Kember's back. So eventually Kember finds out and everything blows up, and uh, Spaceman 3 is, is, no, is no more. Do you know what kind of drugs they were on? Well, I can tell you, that's actually a, a great little note here. So you've seen the album cover. If you haven't seen the album cover, it looks like two wax aliens melted in a dish in the sun and it was one of their friends and uh pierce had described the guys how he he does his artistic process which is he wakes up 
and eats a ton of mushrooms in the morning and then just <laughs> paints and, and draws all day. And he does that every day. This is a really a piece of shit album cover. <laughs> <I can't say. laughs> it really it looks like a high schooler like just took a swipe at it. I, it feels like it could be the cover for almost just any album. It has no connection to this album whatsoever. Oh, yeah. I feel like you, this could have been like an Aphex Twin cover. No, that guy has great design aesthetic. Yeah. But <laughs> it could be for that type of music. Yeah. You could wrap this on an orange candle and sell it at Pottery Barn during Halloween. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they kind of look like, you know, at those gas stations where they have like the inflatable, like tall thing that's just like flailing around. tube man. Yeah. yeah it's kind of what they look like. <laughs> So the quote was that the 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 guy who who did the artwork was Natty Brooker. Uh, he lived with Pierce in the UK, and Pierce said that he used to wake up in the morning and start his day with mushrooms, like days and days. He would have the dried mushrooms under his bed and do these amazing drawings. And he kind of lost himself in his art. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> this art is not worth ruining your brain with no. copious <laughs> amounts of drugs for. Me. Dude, can we just talk briefly? So this. Well, I guess you're going to get to this album release, but 1992, the year this came out, is stacked with classic albums. This yeah. Is, this is, you know, we usually try to talk about the context. 1992, you got Check Your Head, you got the first Rage album, you got Core by STP, you got Automatic for the People, Grave Dancers Union, 40 Ounces to Freedom, Picture of Nectar. Yeah, you know, and you know what the number one song was when this album came out? Hold on, little nah. girl. Tell was, me what she's done to you. <laughs> it was uh, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. <gasps> oh, wow. so good. Yeah, I get that song stuck in my head sometimes to this yeah, day. That was, that was a middle school dance staple. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Spaceman 3 breaks up, but Spaceman 3 was relatively prolific in terms of all of their B-sides and all the demos that they had they had collected. So they had built a cult following and had a ton of these rarities and oddities and demos that they had gathered up over the course of eight or nine years. So just kind of on a side note with that album that I had mentioned at the top, do you guys know Thurston Moore? Yeah. yeah Not, Sonic Youth. Yeah, there you go. Yes, all right. So he created an experimental slash psychedelic record label called Father Yod. And they went out and they mashed up a bunch of these Spacemen 3 demos and unreleased tracks and put it on an album called Taking Drugs to Make Music to Take Drugs To. Hmm. So that is available on Spotify. You know what? That's a better album title, for sure. I agree. <laughs> and here's here's the message here, kids, is that when songwriting, in quotes, just means getting powerfully stoned and twiddling knobs on your synthesizer <laughs> for an hour, you end up with a lot of B-sides. Yeah. yeah <laughs> good call. Good call. Yep. Well, in that case, my voice memos are just littered with B-sides. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm happy if my voice memos make it to B-side quality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not taking enough mushrooms on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. All right, so we're all primed. We're now ready for Spiritualized in the actual album for this week, which is called Laser Guided Melodies. So the band over the years had many lineups, but for this album, you basically have the last lineup from Spaceman 3, which is the founder, Jason Pierce, on vocals and guitar, Mark Refoy on guitar, Will Carruthers on bass, Johnny Matlock on drums, and Kate Radley on keyboard. Now, this album was recorded over the course of about nine months between 91 and 92 and was released on March 30th of 1992. So Rob mentioned the, the, the insane amount of amazing music that was coming out. 
And uh, yeah, this came out too. So good or bad, it's just some context. I think <laughs> this did come out. That is a statement of fact. I'm too sexy was also out by Right Said Fred. So maybe that is giving this a little bit of context. As I would well. listen to that entire Right Said Fred album over this. <laughs> I've never Agreed. heard anything, but I'm too sexy. I'll tell you right now. I'd bump that all day. <laughs> so no big surprise here. It didn't sell well. All I could find with it was that as of 2001, overall spiritualized, the entire band in the UK had sold around 160 albums. 160 <laughs> singular <laughs> albums. Sorry. Let me take that again. I'm at 160,000 albums. <laughs> I think we all believed you. I was just, <laughs> wow, they're really precise. Taking it down to the individual. So yeah, this, this album clocks in at, at 61 minutes and 17 seconds, which also annoys me. They so easily could have made it 60 minutes and just made it like one cool aspect. But they made it sixty-one seventeen, and there's no, there, that's nothing special. Well, how else are you supposed to get two hundred bars in? And how know, can you? How on. could you have trimmed these tight arrangements? Right. Adam? <laughs> exactly. This could have been a thirty-three-minute album and still felt a little bloated. <laughs> yeah, no meat on these bones. I just this is one of the first times I really want to take issue with the album title. It is the opposite of what you get on this album. Laser oh, right. is a beam of light going straight. <laughs> burning a hole through something focused well there there's also no what where are the melodies god it implies a straight line and there's no fucking melodies what are you talking about <laughs> well and they spelled laser wrong too unless that's like the euro spelling and i'm just a you know schmuck look, american look, look i'll i want to get this out of the way early maybe this will not do nothing for the spiritualized fans that have logged on to our podcast here and are very upset with us right now. But I like other dream pop bands that I've heard. I like beach house a lot. I like the Mazzy star record. I like my bloody Valentine's big record. Like I've liked stuff like this, but you know what it has? It has a melody. It has structure. It has actual fucking texture. This really just sounds like a dude twiddling. This there, there are times on this record where it sounds like a person pitch. Like, but not right. It doesn't get all the way to actually having songs. I like, I'm not a big fan of this band, but somebody like Explosions in the Sky, I feel like does that sound texture in a way that is so much more palatable than this. There just wasn't, there's no there there for a lot of these songs. And, you know, I think I might have cracked the code on the misspelling of laser guided melodies. Maybe they're saying they're melodies guided by a one who lases a laser. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) i take it all back Uh, brilliant they're actually brilliant i really had a problem with this album because for one thing so look i i I, we're going to continue to shit on it and we should (laughs) i do think there were some cool aspects of this album i thought some of the first of all i thought having this be really bass forward i thought some of the bass melodies were actually making these songs hang together a little bit. But the problem was just that it never deviated from that. Yeah. You know, and, and look, listen, I, I kind of like these bands like, you know, Krung Bin and some of these other ones who are very hypnotic and repetitive. Like I don't have a problem with that, but I just felt like with these songs, they, there was just a lack of dynamics and a sense that they just kind of hit record and just, 
captured the middle of a a noodle jam. I'll tell you, Alan, I I 100% agree with you. Will Carruthers, the bass player, only guy putting in work. Like, the drums are mixed in a way. So low. They sound like, like, do they hate the drummer or something? (laughs) They have like a thing against drums? It sounded very intentional and very bizarre. And especially when you have bass really far out in front and drums really far in the back, it just, it doesn't hang together in a way that is orally pleasing. This band also sounded a lot better on paper. So I read uh, about the album before listening to it, and there was this idea that they broke up the album into these four different movements, kind of like a symphony, where they were moving from red, which represented love, and then to green, which represented nature, blue was sadness, and finally black, which was the void. And I was excited. I was like, oh, okay, this album looks long. It's an hour, but maybe there's something going on. Completely disappointed. Like such a such an ambitious idea, and they just it just well, failed at all. It's of all that. it's all arty pretension with no substance. Like I could I could totally see that being this like idea that you're like, yeah, it sounds like a really great idea, but they'd never they didn't actually have the substance to make that to back it up. Yeah. 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 Was it any surprise that they're often compared to the one velvet underground? <laughs> Rob, let, let's hear it. Go ahead. Sorry. Jump in. I, I'm, that was solely meant to, to, to poke Rob. I mean, that's, it's, it's a pretty stupid comparison to be honest. <laughs> the velvet underground have something to I, say. This guy has nothing. Millions to of people say. make that comparison. Yes. By the way. Well, millions of people are very stupid, but also I, I'm <laughs> not a big velvet underground fan, but this is way I, worse better than, than velvet I, underground. Don't, don't way worse than velvet underground and incomparably worse. All right, so I kept our focus list. I was kind this week. I kept the focus list to 20 minutes of the 60 minutes. So let's jump in. We'll just give a little another taste here of You Know It's True. This is when the band cornered the baby's first mobile. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is a sad nursery rhyme. Yeah, I, I didn't look at the lyrics for this. Are they sad? Don't don't, don't bother. I don't no, know. He did okay. Tom, maybe Tom looked at them. I looked. That at sounds the like something Tom would do because he did this fucking thing where he would only write like four or five lines and then just repeat them for the entire song. There's almost never. Like a verse one, verse two, verse three, with like you compare it to Tori Amos, where it's like every verse is different, every chorus is subtly different. This is the exact same in most situations. And then there's sometimes where he just writes way too many words for the song. It's like he didn't spread them out evenly enough. And they're all so incredibly trite. Just really the the most surface level type of lyrics. I'm so sad. Oh. I will say for this song, I had high hopes because when I when I turned it on, I actually like the the first like I like the core. If you want to call it a melody motif or whatever, it's not quite a melody. I thought it sounded really nice. And I actually was they they, they got me pretty quickly, but then also lost me 
I agree that a lot of these start off with promise, you know, by the midway point of the record. It's just like, nah, these go nowhere. Like, I know what this it's is. It's like they wrote a hook or, or you know, a, a motif and just didn't build on yeah, it at all. That, so that's that's my main complaint about the record, and it applies to this song, is that none of these songs ever go anywhere. And I think this is one of the – I like hypnotic, trancey, repetitive music as well. But I think what a lot of the good stuff in that genre does – is it builds and like it gets you so used to one thing that when they add a new element or make a change, it feels very dynamic and exciting. And there's so few of those changes here. These songs just kind of start and go and then peter out and then the next song starts. They never get off the ground. I I timestamped, I think it's 220 when a tambourine pops up, a single shake of the tambourine. <laughs> On this track, and, and I that felt woke like, you up. I felt like a thirsty man in the desert getting something. <laughs> Let's hear that. Now, th- there is something that we should note about this. Like, let's let's give some credit where credits due. This came out in like 95, right? 92. 92, great. So if you flash forward like 30 years, this there's a whole genre of music that sounds like this, right? Like there's, there's you know. Oh, yeah. Well, I think in, in our so, pre-roll, I, I think I made a joke about Tame Impala where I think bands like that seem like they kind of come from this school, but at least there's they're, an intensity. There's and, uh, so much more intense and dynamic than a bit. I mean, I've listened to a lot of Tame Impala, basic bitch that I am, and they're- <laughs> Yes, they use re- repetition and texture a- as a weapon, but they they're able to do that thing where they the songs morph and change and build to something so that they actually feel like arrangements. I think the same is true. And maybe Beach House is a different animal, but I kept thinking of Beach House when listening to this band. It's it's a popular band now, but they have so much more variation in texture, so much more command of melody. There's just so many things you could have done. Like this sounds like the first attempt and you could have overdubbed for six months and made this into something good, in my opinion. Well, let's go back to what we talked about on Emperor Tomato Ketchup, the Stereo Lab album, where it's like a lot of those songs were meant to be hypnotic. And you're like, oh, it starts off with a cool part and then it goes on for too long and then it keeps going until it comes back around. And you're like, oh, yeah, that gets you that gets you hypnotized. These don't even really start off with cool parts. It's not like it's a cool thing that's going that's going to that's going to get old and then come back around. It never hooked me. I felt the entire time I was just waiting for the album to start. One band that came to mind as I was listening to this that in those moments where I was kind of optimistic at first and I was hopeful it would get there is is they reminded me a little bit of the of a band called the Beta Band where yeah. who has a you know they're they're in the same vein as some of these other bands that we're talking about where they establish a groove but to your point, Rob, there's by the time they get to, you know, there's a climax. It's like a story. There's a beginning, a middle and an end and, and you know, builds on it. And it's just this was devoid of I, any of that. And we're going to talk about one song. Yeah, I like Beta Band famously referenced in High Fidelity, right? With that song, Dry the Rain. It's a great tune. But yeah, long build up and then it gets somewhere, at least in that song in particular. And I think they fail on that level for most of the record. There is one exception. That we will talk about. I I could not get over the vocal delivery on this album. I just couldn't get past it. 
full Clapton heroin hammock. Yo, level. He right. sounds bored. If he sounds bored, how am I not supposed to be bored with your music? You know, it's just like, open your mouth. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> my just God. Up. Oh, and also, by the way, singing kind of low, but still, still flubbing notes. Still <laughs> flubbing notes. He's not out there doing an aria and flubbing notes. He's doing the simplest stuff and flubbing notes. All right, let's move on to... <laughs> Uh, the next song we're going to talk about is called I Want You. So, so that opening made me realize for the first time in my life how much I miss Bono's soaring vocal. Oh my god, <laughs> shitty you too. That Dude. is my note, shitty you too. That is exact. My my note was warmed over you too. <laughs> but all right, this is the one where he finally writes some lyrics. But then he wrote too many lyrics. He's trying to shoehorn them all in here and it's so clunky and awkward and they're terrible. They're not good at all and like let's get to the song titles that we're going to talk about here so far we talked about you know it's true and i want you these are just so basic bitch song titles they're not interesting or cool or anything for this song right at the beginning it kind of sounds like it's going to go somewhere it does and then rob to your point if bono would come in with his voice that it a bit it had been a song this just la- laid <laughs> right. into this milk right. toast shit. I know. It made me appreciate Bono, which is really saying something. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got those like big, uh, you know, it starts with those Robert, uh, Roger Daltrey fucking guitar. Totally, like, totally. Windmill, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're like, yeah, this is my, that's yeah. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Oh, God. I did note that I thought the uh, the bass player got a little love uh, in like the minute and a half outro. <laughs> he, he's actually playing a little bit. I do think the bass work is good on this album, though, aside from it being, you know, a riff ad nauseum. But I do think that the the riffs themselves, as far as bass goes, are pretty, pretty decent. Oh, well, it's not ad nauseum because at basically after every chorus, they just kind of stop do the pseudo stop. And then they start over again. That's my biggest problem with these songs. It's construction issues. You sap any momentum you might have had by just stopping. And then we're going to start again, but you don't even let it fade out to the point where it goes to silence. It's just kind of like this weird, like everybody hit, and then we're going to start again with the exact same thing we just did. Psychedelic. 
drug pop. <laughs> I think I said psychedelic. 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 <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. So let's move on. So we 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 made it through the red suite, all right, which is about love. Now we're going to dive into the green suite uh, with a song called Run. Now, this is a cover. The lyrics are actually written. <laughs> the lyrics are a song written by J.J. Kale, and you may know this one a little bit better. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the Leonard Skinner real better version of the song. Here, let's play spiritualized version called Run. This is the best song on the album. I would have accepted that first 30 seconds as the intro to a better song. <laughs> sure. Like there was there was promise. Although I gotta say, I really don't like that Leonard Skittered song. So you reimagining a song I already don't like and making it worse. <laughs> you know. It's like two negatives cancel each other out. <laughs> I thought it was the most exciting bass line on the record, but I thought it was the most tepid chorus on the record. Well, that chorus is supposedly just they said that it was borrowed by, inspired by the Velvet Underground song. I thought that that might have been the case. It yeah. sounded familiar. Um, you never know where you're going to find it. You got to run, 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 run. Take the jacket too. Run, 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 run. Jim's a dead for you. Hey, what you do? I thought this was a cover song. Yeah, they said it incorporates yeah, part of that. It's a mashup of those yeah. two songs, basically. Mashup uh, of those two songs. Yeah. It is. This is the only song that still occupied any real estate in my head afterwards. Like I, I was humming this a little bit. So I'll, I'll give some props there. This was the one thing that stuck with me slightly. Not me. Really hated this song. <laughs> really didn't like it. I'm like really. it. so long. <laughs> it's so long. It's almost a six-minute song, and the last two minutes, they just go, run, 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 run. <laughs> and they don't even do the coolest part of the Velvet Underground song, which is the, you know, run, 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 take a drag or two, and then gypsy death in you, which is, those are cool lines. Like, Out-of-tune guitar solo. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the spirit of the Velvet Underground, you know, it sounds like somebody just, like, hits a ride cymbal the whole time. Everything yeah. else. Is- <laughs> sounds like somebody hit a vein with some opioids right before they made this song. There was, it might have been this song, or maybe it was another one, where I was listening to it on my phone, and I accidentally fat-fingered the Spotify controls and i fast forwarded like two or three minutes 
but it was a, it was seamless in my listening experience. <laughs> yeah, because nothing changed for those like two. Half the song is a fade out. Literally half the song is just noodling the outro. Is this just yeah. one big troll? This whole thing. I think. <laughs> I think Dimery's screwing with us. Yeah, I meant uh, Pierce Spaceman J or whatever his name is. All uh, right. <laughs> well, also because because we did. Because this, I was thinking of Clapton and the 461 Ocean Boulevard vocal approach, which was, you know, with a Mai Tai in the hammock, half asleep, half half quaaluded out. But uh, the fact that this is a partially a J.J. Kale song and Eric Clapton is also known for covering a J.J. Kale song after midnight. So we get a little ah, get a little connection there. OK, well done. You're, you're piecing these pieces together. Yeah, these pieces of shit. together. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, let's 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 keep this thing moving. Uh, next track we're gonna listen to is called "Take Take Your Time." Please don't take your time. By the way, we're in the middle of the blue suite now. In case you're following oh, yeah, our color really, journey through the symphony, such movement. What, is, what is blue? Does that signify like like water yeah, yeah. or sky or something? Let's see. Blue is sadness. Such distinction. <laughs> sure. What was green? Green was nature. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. I've already ragged on the vocal, but this vocal is offensive to it's me. It's terrible. It's terrible. He says, "Cause I'm blind, but not as blind as you." And by the second time he flatly delivered that to me, I wish that I was deaf because I could not take it anymore. And I'm looking at the counter and I'm like, oh, there's like five minutes there's and 40 seconds left, left in this song. Aggressively what? boring. Aggressively boring. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, here's a serious question. There, so there are obviously like a lot of people who do like this. How do they feel when they listen to like jazz, right? They must feel so overwhelmed. <laughs> so many right? notes. Like, Stop. So too many changes. Notes. So Listen, they're using it's, black keys on the piano. Unacceptable. <laughs> so we we talked about this like a little bit before. Like uh, I thought a little bit this week about the Devendra Bonhart record we reviewed. Like you know, a few. Oh years yeah, back. way. Yeah, and like it, you know, it, it, this is a different conversation, right? But like you know, this is in some cases nice music to fall asleep to or not pay attention to, right? But that's yeah. that's not the exercise here, right? Like must yeah. is just. A, it's got a lot of white noise machine to it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not built for active listening, certainly. Which I think made our particular exercise of active listening to this oh several God. times over the course of the week. Just trying to find something. Wait, I need I need uh, an hour count of how many hours you spent listening to this, Adam. Because I know you're normally like 10 to 12. Yeah. Like, what are we talking at, here? At least 10 hours that, that this is going. Most of it what became background listening. I did sit through it twice and actually like, tried to pay attention good headphones i i will say the the mixing like this i'm trying to give it a compliment it's like because it's not dynamic 
But the production's good. The use of stereo, I think, is very trippy, very psychedelic. They and it's not disorienting. You know, we've heard stereo effects where it, it throws you off your game. They do stereo in such a way that there are things panning and frequencies are changing. And it is it is spacey. It is washy. So I will give them that. I, I think the engineering and the production is is decent. Again, there's just not enough dynamics in the song that y- you can throw in all the effects and stereo effects that you want. That's not going to make this interesting. Do you think it's also like cutting edge and like forward looking, but that doesn't mean it's good for 92. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Like- yeah. One has to assume that they were going for this exact sound. And at the end of it, we're probably like, you know, limp armedly giving each other high fives about how great this was before they passed out from the carbon monoxide leak that was in the studio or something. Um, but I'm sure that they achieved what they wanted to, but the i don't know the music fan in me i needed more now you can do like imagine the, imagine the treatment of a song like this where you have the super low song first verse we'll be generous and call them verses here and then you're going to repeat those lyrics well you can just give it a different vocal treatment and that will make it sound more interesting you do like a harry nilsson thing where you go up an octave but mm-hmm. this guy i want to hear him push at all ever sound like you're trying man it i just don't get the effort i felt like again i felt like it took more effort for me to listen to this than it took for him to sing it and probably the production and the mixing and all that stuff i'm sure that took time eight months you said they spent on this album yeah eight to nine months yeah eight to nine that's months crazy on this album well maybe this album is what you get from a secretly recorded spite right <laughs> <laughs> well they all had to sneak around you know they were recording in five minute chunks like they're cheating on their girlfriends you know yeah they couldn't wake up the guy snapping in the other room right. like, down. <laughs> we gotta be quiet all right let's can we, let's can we talk no, wait, before we yeah, go yeah, can yeah. We talk about the ragtime piano in this song when does that happen? <laughs> the ragtime piano comes in over the end of this song. All right. It is like <laughs> Tom listened all the way to the end. stabs and it's like chintzy like fake synth piano it's not even a real piano yeah and also it sounds like it was recorded with no knowledge of what anyone else in the room was doing it's just like this slapped on <laughs> ragtime piano i think that they were just trying to bring in different elements but they don't start to bring in any different elements until you're over five minutes into the song and at that point there's no redemption there's nothing that's going to pull me back in i have mentally checked out We're going to move on to our next uh, song on our focus list here. This is called Shine a Light. We're still in the blue suite, gents. All right. I just want you to know we're we're still blue. We're still in sadness. We are still in sadness. Don't worry. We eventually go to the void of blackness. So here's here's Shine a Light.
So I would say this is my favorite song on the record. I think it is the most effective at achieving the sleep effect. I get like subtle elements of air. And I think some of the sort of like pseudo jazz elements of the record are achieved like a little later with like the very delicate saxophone. But I mean, at this point in the record, like you're really, you're done. This is the hit on the album. This was, this is the (laughs) highest. It's got 2 million listens. So this is the, this is the banger. Crank it, gents. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a front runner, right? This (laughs) this song is three chords. It's a seven minute, three chord song. (laughs) I like, I can deal with that. Like that in and of itself is I'm fine. The, the noise, I don't know what to call the noise crescendo. Oh my, like, listen, I'm not a guitar player and I can take shots at, at, you know, people who, who noodle and throw every effect against the wall, but you there's two minutes of really loud, aggressive, just fucking noise. And it's, yeah. I, I feel like that is, it's, it's almost like masturbatory almost. Yeah. My note is, thank God they mixed in this noise. It was almost soothing. It almost got to the point where it was soothing. And I was like, like, no, we must offend you with noise. God. Oh, like, like I'll take the wandering sacks for four minutes, which literally it goes on for four minutes. You know, Pitchfork gave this one a nine and really spawned all over it. Out of a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I pulled a quote from the review out of out of about this song. And they said, Pitchfork said, this song also demonstrates what a sharp songwriter Pierce can be. Sharp with lines <laughs> with two lines of perfect vocal melody gliding languorously about the mix. Uh, I'm just, I'm not even gonna I'm just, I'm, I'm not gonna come. I'm not gonna dignify that. All right, so I we have to touch on the Black Suite, right? So this is how the album ends. We're now in the void. At this point, we have fully experienced all that existing as a human has to offer emotionally and, and from, a, from a sonic standpoint. So this song is how the entire experience ends. This is called 200 Bars. Dude, when she started counting, I was like, please, <laughs> no, do not fucking oh. tell me that you're okay, going to just this, keep this counting. This going. is, the, to me, the most successful song on the record. It's avant-garde, I, but I hear, I get the idea they're trying to get. This actually is what maybe reminded me of something like the Velvet Underground. I don't like it, but I understand so, what they were going for. Here's my biggest <laughs> fucking problem. This is a 150-bar song. This is not okay. a 200-bar song. I wanted to you talk about it? that. Oh, my God, you're yes. amazing. <laughs> Well, it's like that noticed, record where they do the 12 country songs, but it's really 12 golden like country 10 hits. or 11 or something. 
Okay, yeah, I I didn't. Yeah, thank you for painfully counting it because I noticed. I thought the song just sped up, and that's why that's why the break at a hundred didn't happen at half the runtime. I was wondering if that was purposeful or not. If they're fucking with us, unless they start counting the bars as half of a chord change. But like, if you use the same that they were using for the beginning part of the song, where she's counting out. On the chord change, that's when she counts out the different bar. If you do that for the rest of the song, there's exactly 150 bars in this song. So 100 bars at the beginning takes 3 minutes and 39 seconds, 219 seconds of a 375-second song, 2.19 seconds per bar, which means that if there were, in fact, 100 bars, there would have to be 1.59 seconds per bar, but they are not. I counted them out. They are... <laughs> there are 50 150 bars I, and then at the end she goes 200 you're like, liar no, it's not <laughs> liar it's not 200 <laughs> okay well, I, you know, I mean I'm not sure if that makes me like it less or more though <laughs> I'm on the fence well they drag every other song out why couldn't they just have the balls I, to drag no, this I, one out I know but it's a little is troll it possible? that I I'm looking at the lyrics here is it possible the song is just about going to 200 bars Oh, <laughs> Phil, do you ever think that like songs are made out of bars? But like we go to bars too. <laughs> like maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a song there. I don't know. <laughs> so I So here's what I I want to give it a compliment though. It's 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 painfully annoying for the first four minutes, but then it breaks and something happens. And that's the only time on the record we could say that. Oh, there's like a little kick-in kind of thing. Yeah, there's a kick-in. There's a kick-in. The song starts. Yes, yes, listeners, after she does count to 100 all the way. There, this is not like a, oh, you know, they just get to 100 cheekily. No, she counts directly to 100 before the kick-in. Tom's really aggrieved by song. this inaccuracy of the bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have the courage of your own conviction. I'm just saying I was waiting. I was waiting the whole record for something to happen. And at this time, <laughs> I was almost bored to tears by the 345 of bar counting. And then something happened. All right, gents. So we've, uh, all right, we we've descended into the void. The album is over. We're now gonna throw things around the room here to get what everyone thinks on whether or not you actually need to hear this before you die. We're gonna throw it over to Alan first. I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> this does not belong on the list. I, I have no pithy remarks. Otherwise, you do not need to listen to this. All right, there you have it, uh, Phil. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be a hard pass. Uh, you can go ahead and pass on uh, <laughs> We Are Floating in Space, too, uh, which I like more than this. So this would be like a double pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. I think I mentioned when we announced this record that I saw this band live one time and the guy was standing up playing a synthesizer and facing with his back to the audience. He was facing away from the audience for no discernible reason I can tell. And that really struck a chord with me. I, I hated him <laughs> from that moment on. And now listening to his recordings uh, in more depth only confirmed that suspicion that he was a huge douchebag whose plot was to make us listen to a bunch of bullshit for <laughs> an hour of our lives. It's like 12 bravo. hours of my life. You bravo bastard. <laughs> on, on, in one sense, but no, you should absolutely skip this. 
All right, Tom. This album sucks. <laughs> now just say that again eight, 84 times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the beginning of my 19-minute dissertation on this album. This is a, this is a pass. This is a, uh, I'm annoyed that I spent this much time listening to this album. It sucked. Real bad. Don't listen to it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Hey, this is Adam. It's going to be unanimous. It's a hard pass for me without any additional qualifications. All right. Let's find out. <laughs> oh, for five. By oh, <laughs> very few of those have, have occurred. So that's that's impressive, spiritualized. Well, well done. All right. We're actually going to jump into the mailbag now. So I'm going to throw it over to Rob. He's going to dig his hand in, see what we got in the old mailbag there. Yes, thank you, Adam. Apologies, gents. We're a little backlogged on the old mailbag. We have some good listener mail to read to you right now. And I just want to remind everyone, if you think we got it wrong about spiritualized, if you're 100% in agreement with us or whatever else you think or want to ask us to address on the show, you can write us at 1001albumcomplaints at Gmail. That's the number, 1001albumcomplaints at Gmail. We have a missive here from Paul from the UK. I think he's written us before. He said, just a British perspective on Tori Amos, especially the Little Earthquakes album. At the time, she was considered a much-needed rival to Kate Bush, who she got compared to a lot in the early days. I was working at a high street record store at the time, and Tori and Kate were very much mentioned in the same conversations. I am not saying her success came down to just that, the competition with Kate Bush, but it had some bearing. And also wants to mention that Tori lives in the UK now, a beautiful county called Cornwall, and she clearly feels at home in the UK. You know, I feel like the whole Kate Bush thing missed, at least me, but I feel like it missed the US a lot more than, like, way more popular in England. Well, yeah. It did, and then she just came back roaring through her Stranger Things. You know, she hit number one or whatever her song mm-hmm. from like thirty years ago because oh, it was that was on the Kate Stranger Bush Things who did that too. Yeah. God, running, running, running up that hill. Which, yeah. by the way, if you guys if you guys have watched the the season of Stranger Things where that song appears, they use it incredibly well to like great effect. They it's yes. really well done in terms of like the sound engineering and the usage of that. So. Cool. And we have, well, thanks for that, Paul. We always love hearing a little more information about the artists. We're here to learn. Interesting to hear about Tori's perception in the UK and her rivalry with Kate Bush. And I have one more that I think y'all will like. This is from Jorge coming from Cooper City, Florida. He writes, you guys are like taking David Copperfield to a magic show. Typical musicians. Don't judge songs so much on chord changes and notes. You're overanalyzing. Does it move you? He goes on to say, thanks for destroying my love of 461 Ocean Boulevard. (laughs) Yes. As a South Floridian, I've driven past the house many times, as well as Criteria Studios where it was recorded. And now I honestly agree it's painfully mediocre. Thanks a lot. Wow. Awesome. He closes by saying, love the show. Keep it up. (laughs) Yeah, alrighty. <laughs> right on. Listen, that is why we're here. It's to ruin things that you previously loved. Yeah. Specifically, Eric Clapton. <laughs> we're specifically here to lower Eric Clapton's fan base as much as we can. <laughs> Again, thank you for writing in. We appreciate all your epistles, all your notes, any questions you want to ask, any notes you want to add, any complaints you have about us, our voices, 
or our opinions, send them on over to 1001albumcomplaints at Gmail. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. All right. And now we're going to throw things over to Tom to figure out what our homework assignment is for the week. So Tom, take it away with the Albinator. All right, everybody. I got that Albinator. It is ready to go. I had to wake it up. It was dozing in the corner, maybe (laughs) nodding off in the corner. I don't know. Um, But I have given it the shot. It's ready to go. Let's spin that wheel and find out what we're going to be listening to next week. Drum roll, please. We will be listening to... The album Forever Changes by the artist Love. I have never heard anything by the artist Love. Hopefully it's not I don't think I. <laughs> I haven't heard of that either, but that's usually no, no big surprise with me. Right. To be. But what's this album called again? It's going to be Forever hard to Changes Forever by the changes. artist Love. And again, like to be making a band back in the day where like the name love wasn't taken and you just be like, Oh yeah, we're just going to be calling ourselves. I don't know. Love. Cool. Great name. You know? <laughs> yeah. Great name. It's if pretty, you can get it. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I think they're a sixties band. I don't, I don't really know them well, but they're a sixties band. And I, I want to say they're, they're multiracial at a time when that was not common. Ah, oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Tom. Folks, you have your homework assignment for the week. The album is Forever Changes by the band Love. That is going to do it for us today here at 1001 Album Complaints. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. I have been Adam. I've been Alan. I have been Phil. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. Boosh. Boosh.